All right, inappropriate Earl, we're back. And, you know, I don't get excited that often in my life. Being a stand-up comic of 20 years has uh, made me want to quit. It's made me not want to do this anymore. But along comes a guest and a show. It's kind of like a troll meeting the trollee for the very first time. My next guest, I don't know. Literally have just met him in my garage with his gigantic dog. I was on a show called I'm Dying Up Here. It was recently canceled. This man was on a show that when I saw the billboards, I saw the commercials, I thought, wow, this show looks awful. You know how you see a movie trailer and you're like, oh, they put all the good stuff in the trailer. The rest is going to suck. And I said, I'm going to give it one shot. And I was hooked. And I'm bummed out that it's not. I don't like to say it's not coming back. I like to hold out hope. But then again, I think the Fire Festival has a chance. And it's beyond a humbling experience to introduce my guest, Mr. Amir Talai. Wow. There's the mic. Oh, no, it's all good. What an intro. Well, it's true because... It, that, that intro took us on a journey. You know what I mean? It was like it was like this garbage show with a shitty billboard and commercials that and then it came all full circle. I, yeah, I'm nervous because it's it's people don't quite get that this is we've known each other for two minutes. Yeah, I'm a little nervous too. We shouldn't be. Because I you know, I don't I you know, I haven't met you. I haven't uh, I haven't seen your stand up, you know what I mean? Because I don't go to stand up clubs much. You're my, busy working. Well, no, it's that my wife used to be a stand up, and so I would see her all the time, and so then we both sort of got tired of stand up a little bit. So I don't know. You you know you might for all I know you might be the second coming of Patton Oswalt or the second coming of Louis C.K. You know who knows? Well, <laughs> I'd rather get the Patton Oswalt. Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, you know, I've been blocked on Twitter by, I believe, three people now. Okay, that's okay. That's not a terrible number. Well, let me tell you the first two. You know what? I feel like you... Okay, I'm, I want to hear this, but I feel like when you get blocked, there should be... Um, like, you should get a report of, like, why you got blocked. I think I know why I got blocked. <laughs> okay, great. Let me hear it. Uh, well, the first one was O.J. Simpson. O.J. blocked you? Yeah. O.J.'s on Twitter? He was. <laughs> That's a uh, bad idea. Who's advising him? Well, uh, <laughs> he's getting more work than I am. Uh, the second person was Bill Cosby. Okay. Solid. So hammering him. Yeah. Uh, great. I just asked. I think the f tweet that uh, really pushed him over the edge was I asked him if each skin tag was for a victim. <laughs> he's got a lot of skin tags. And I'm not doing material to you. Uh, and then the third was the wrestler Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, now, he hasn't killed or molested anyone to our knowledge, has he? Well, I, I believed he helped uh, quicken the death of a personal friend of mine, okay. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, I get it. I've, uh, you know. Yeah. You know, me and Rowdy. Uh, Roddy Piper had Will Sasso on, very funny, uh -huh. a comic actor. And uh, Mr. Sasso did an impression of Steve Austin. Yeah. 
and uh, it's such a spot-on impression. But it was not disrespectful. It didn't bring up any uh, uh, personal uh, matters in Mr. Austin's life. It was just a stupid impression. And uh, so... uh, Will's not known for his uh, biting... Yeah. Uh, 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 angry impressions. Yeah, it wasn't malicious in any uh, c- capacity. Right. And then uh, Stone Cold told Podcast One, uh, which is a big podcast network, uh, it's either me or Roddy. Wow. You pick. And that really hurt Roddy. Because oh. he's, uh, are you a pro wrestling fan at all? Not anymore. I wasn't as a kid. I kind of want to get back into it. It's horrible now. Oh, is that right? But, uh, you know, Roddy was 61, I believe. He, he was yeah. getting tired of traveling the world yeah. and, you know, going to these autograph conventions and, and Jacksonville for a day. He loved the fans, but, you know, he's 61. Yeah. So uh, the podcasts are a great way to make money and... Uh, Interact with people. Yeah, not have to travel as yeah. much. And right. so... Uh, and then we were taken off... Another, I was the co-host of his podcast. Got it. And then we went to another network and we were... Uh, told we couldn't do it there anymore and, and then Roddy passed pretty uh it's just not some wild conspiracy but like I believe all the stress added to his yeah uh, I hear that and then uh Dane Cook recently blocked me oh because so he's four yeah four I'm sorry I'm nervous I told you I'm nervous because <laughs> I want to get to LA to Vegas because I I just love that show <laughs> for so many reasons Thank you. uh but Dane Cook sent out a tweet saying what's your favorite guilty no what's your favorite shitty movie like a guilty pleasure and i said employee of the month sure which was his movie that's a standard how could you not expect that and then as a response so you know i think i made a may have uh i'm nowhere near as famous as dane cook and if and if i said what's your favorite shitty show i would expect at least five people to say la to vegas but i really that show and now we're gonna get full on into it okay and you've done a lot more than la to vegas (laughs) yes but like uh you were nice enough to you know i tweet at people at random uh i think i was watching football on a sunday morning (laughs) i said i wonder if i can get anyone from la to vegas on this show and i get told no a lot and so you tried you tried Dylan McDermott. I did try Captain no. Dave first. Then, then you tried the. Then you tried Kim, uh, who played Ronnie the fly test. She said no. You tried uh, the black guy Nathan. He said no. You tried Peter Stormar. He said no. You tried Ed Weeks. No from him. Olivia Macklin, who played the stripper, she said no. Finally, then you went to Gambler Gary, the guy with the beard who never had lines, but he was in fourteen of the fifteen. He said no. Well, Finally I'm not going to lie to you. Me. Here is the order I went in. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Don't I, lie. Great. I love it. You're nice enough to <laughs> come here. You don't know who I am, like most people in the entertainment <laughs> business. Um, I, I did go for Captain Dave sure. first. Sure. I don't blame you. Because I thought... Shoot for the moon. Well... And then you land on my shit yet. I thought two birds with one stone. I enjoyed him in Wonderland. Oh. Which uh, I'm obsessed with the the John Holmes, uh, they call it the four and the floor murders, mm-hmm. and you know he played uh, one of the people who got killed. Okay, um, and then I am you talk about guilty pleasures before L.A. to Vegas, and Fox seems to have all these guilty pleasure shows. Mm-hmm. I am obsessed with Prison Break. Oh, okay. And uh, for those of you who watched Prison Break, uh, Peter Stormare uh-huh. was uh, the Italian mobster John Abruzzi. 
So I thought, well, I could do two birds with one stone here. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, that co-pilot was pretty funny. <laughs> so you, I'm not going to lie, you were third, third okay. in the list. All right, I'll take it. You know what? Third to Dylan McDermott and Peter Stormar. That's that's solid. I'm not I'm not mad at that. I mean, listen, I'm assuming They're both legends in their own right. Well, when people want to uh, interview cast members from I'm Dying up here, I'm pretty sure I'm not in the top three. <laughs> so, and plus Don Johnson at the end. <laughs> sure, you didn't try for Don, did you? I, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> My favorite episode, or my favorite television show of all time is Miami Vice. Okay. I would be beyond, I would quit the podcast if I could get Sonny Crockett on this. <laughs> um, or or Philip Michael. See, to be honest with you, I'd rather have Philip Michael Thomas. Okay. Because we all know what Don Johnson's been up to. Right, we've heard. Yeah. Nash Bridges. Yeah. Uh, Which was my... Uh, First job, actually, Nash Bridges. Oh, we're going to get into that. I was I was in the series finale of Nash Bridges. In, in which he did put Phil and Michael Thomas in an episode. I'll give Don Johnson that. <laughs> I mean, that's not... He could have done a lot more, I think. Well, <laughs> I'm guessing Phil and Michael Thomas might be hard to work with. Oh. But let's get in to LA to Vegas. Great. Because it kind of seems like, how long could this show go on? Like, it's L.A. to Vegas. Like, I, I get the concept, but why... Should we tell people the concept in case... You they... tell me. Okay, because chances are your listeners didn't watch it because they're Americans, and most Americans didn't watch it. <laughs> but what? I mean... So I'm... it's about a flight crew that flies a budget airline from L.A. to Vegas, that's all they do. And it's like it's it's like Southwest without all the Southwest perks. I mean, it is it's called Jackpot Airlines. And so it's like the flight crew and then like three or four regulars. And it's based the creator actually used to take that flight every Friday. He would go to Vegas, gamble all weekend, come back on Sunday and he would make money during the weekend to um, to pay for all his bills. He was trying to make it as a writer. We're looking at Joey Bear down there. He was trying to make it as a writer, um, and uh, and he was paying his bills as a gambler. And he got the idea that like, oh, look at all these characters on here. Can he? Can he? Come oh, up? she can come up on. The, Joey, he can come up on the couch. Good boy. Um. So. Uh, so yeah. So he wrote the show. So that's what the show's about. And I played the co-pilot, and Dylan McDermott was the pilot. And like, I'm always fascinated by uh, why shows don't. Uh, make it or or like wh why do you think it only got a year run because i really thought it was funny it was like it was like prison break from the standpoint it was such a guilty pleasure <laughs> and to see dylan mcdermott acting in a, like a, a comedic role and peter stormar is is yeah. I, I don't know if he's considered a serious actor but like you don't see him in a lot of comedies right no no he's i mean he tends to play weirdos right because he's a weirdo um, but, uh, I got, I don't, I don't know why it didn't do better. I mean, we, we had about 2 million viewers a week, which I thought was solid, which would seem to be enough to, to bring it back. Yeah. It sort of depends on the network. You know what I mean? Like, I think if, if, I think if you're like a CW show with 2 million viewers a week, that's really good. Uh, if you're like 
I, I don't know. I, I, my guess is like a CBS show that has 2 million is like really bad. And Fox, 2 million a week is like right on the cusp. And we were right on the cusp. It sort of came down to the end. Like, you know, it was like a judgment call from Fox, whether they wanted to keep it around or not. And, uh, and in the end, you know, all the sort of like backroom negotiations led to us not getting picked up. So there was a possibility they were thinking of bringing it back. Oh, yeah. We were definitely, definitely on the cusp. And like they had decided they canceled everything they wanted to cancel. They picked up everything they wanted to pick up, but they didn't let us know if we were going to get picked up or not, or if we were canceled. We were in limbo for like a week and a half after everybody else had had their fates decided. We were just on pins and needles waiting for Fox to decide and, you know, for them to sort of like work out with the executive producers, whatever sort of random negotiations. Can you cut this budget? Can you get this guest star? Can you, you know, promise that you'll do this and that? And for whatever reason, it just, they were like, they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to pass. I mean, is there, I like to hold on to things. Like I still <laughs> expect to get a phone call saying, Hey, Showtime, uh, they canceled. I'm dying up here, but we want to go to Netflix with the show. <laughs> like has Richard Crenna said to Stallone at the hardware store at the end of the first Rambo, is it over Johnny for LA to Vegas? I mean, could it, I mean, like, and I'm being serious. Like, um, I have, I would, I can't see any way that it could come back because there's, I've never heard of a show that had one so-so year and got picked up some, again somewhere else. Right. You like know, third, so, not 30 Rock. Uh, what's the Brooklyn, show? Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Right. Nine. right. So they had, they had, I think they had four years or five years. And their last year, they had not as good ratings as their other years. They were so-so. They were sort of like us. They were on the cusp. Um, but because they had all this sort of back catalog. They had this like this cult or not cult, but dedicated fan base. That's why NBC swooped in and picked them up. But I've never seen that happen with like a one year show with like a first year show. Like when you guys were doing the table reads, mm -hmm. I mean, those struck me as like, wow, those must've been fun. They were a blast. They were so fun. Um, everyone like gave it their all on the table reads. We just had the best time. And everybody on the show was like, like, you know, you always say like, oh, we're such a family. And blah, blah. But like, it was weird the extent to which we became comfortable with each other within like a week. Like we were, we were literally like sharing clothes, eating off each other's plates. <laughs> like it was very, very uh, uh, tight knit quickly. Like this, my some of my favorite shows are, are like say Sons of Anarchy, mm -hmm. where you could see that the cast liked each other, I, and it's weird to see that when they're acting. But yeah. like, uh, or The Shield mm -hmm. or The Wire, mm -hmm. um, and it's it, you got that feeling watching L.A. to Vegas. Like, yeah, I remember there was one episode where um, Kim and Olivia like shared a hug. Uh, because like one of them was like there for the other one. And in that moment when they hugged, I was like, that that was definitely a real hug. Like, you know, what I mean? they the two of them like love each other. And you could see that watching the show. And it was really it was really great. I feel like that definitely like helped our like chemistry and um, uh, just the sort of vibe of the show. And I think that that bore out in some of the fan reactions to the show. You know, like I talked to a lot of the fans on Twitter and they were both they were all like both both of our fans like, no, all of our fans were very um, they talked about our chemistry. They talked about our relationships. So it was really cool. 
Yeah, like you and Dylan McDermott, like <laughs> you guys had like, it was almost like you guys were a comedy team. You know what's funny is, so I tried out for Peter Stormar's part. Really? Yeah. Um, I tried out for Peter Stormar's part, like maybe like a month or so before the show got made. And um, I felt okay about it, but I was like, this isn't, this isn't a fit. And I, they knew immediately it wasn't a fit. But why it, do you say that? Well, it was written as like an Armenian guy in his 50s. Okay. Um, and, uh, and they weren't quite finding that, so they opened it up age-wise. They opened it up ethnicity-wise. They were just like, they were trying different things, trying to see like what, like what hit. And, um, and I think eventually they were like, oh, we can get Peter. That's dope. Like, <laughs> let's cast Peter because he's so weird and great. And then the night before shooting started, they were like, oh, we have this co-pilot role let's call Amir and see if he'll do it. And they just offered it to me. I didn't audition for it. They were just like, hey, it's two lines. We don't know if it's going to be in more than one episode. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, of course. And they had envisioned, and I didn't find this out until we got canceled, actually. They had envisioned the role to be like Murphy Brown's assistants. Like different every episode and a different weirdo every episode. Um, But after we shot the pilot, they were just like, there's something about him and Dylan together. Let's keep him around for a few episodes. So they, uh, they were like, yeah, why don't you, why don't you do like maybe three to five after, uh, after we come back? And I was like, great. Yeah. Whatever you want. And then after like three or four episodes, they were like, Hey, we want you to do every episode. And I was like, great. Amazing. So yeah, it's just like total like fluke how that happened. And and they kept saying, we just love your chemistry with Dylan. You two together are great, which is the nuttiest thing because, you know, I was a fan of his from the practice. Oh my God. 20 years ago. You yes, know, like, like thought I wanted to become a lawyer because of Dylan McDermott. You know what I mean? My brother actually in part is a lawyer because of Dylan McDermott. Like we were huge practice, practice fans. So to be told that you and Dylan McDermott have great chemistry was just mind blowing and so cool. And uh, yeah, it was, you're not the first person to tell me that. And every time I'm just like, so delighted to hear it. It's crazy. Is it hard coming from a comedy background to uh, like try and do comedy with a serious actor? Um, no, because like, he's, he's a real nut. He's like, he's legit funny. I mean, I thought that the show was going to do for him what Brooklyn did for Andre Brower. Who I, Love. He's so great. And huh. he's a brilliant dramatic actor. And then he did that and everyone went, holy shit, Brower's funny. Um, and I really thought that that was going to happen for Dylan too, because we would get into stuff and he's just like, he's so nutty. He's so strange and funny. And he would like, he would like play, um, play like Cardi B between takes on his iPhone. <laughs> just like so silly and weird. Um, one time I was like, uh, you know, someone said, so I asked, I, I asked um, someone like, what do you do when you're starstruck by someone? Like, wh- wh- what do you do? And someone told me, um, ask them about a time that they were starstruck. Right. And I was like, oh, that's really a smart, that's a, that's good advice. Cause it sort of like gives you something to talk about like that. And, and if, and so I asked, I forget one time I asked a celebrity that, and they were like Bruce Springsteen. I did. Oh, I think might've been Bobby Moynihan that I asked. And and I, and and in that moment, Bobby and I are talking about how amazing Bruce Springsteen is. So right. now, like, I feel sort of on equal footing with Bobby Moynihan, even though he's like amazing, this like hilarious guy that I look up to. So I asked Dylan, I was like, Dylan, when was the last time you were starstruck? And he goes, Right now, I'm here. 
right now. <laughs> like didn't miss a beat. And he's just like, he's silly like that. He's quick. And so, yeah, it was actually really easy to be funny with him. I hope he gets more chances to be funny because I think he's great. Well, if I have anything to do with it, I want to start a grassroots campaign okay. to get this show back. <laughs> I know the odds are long. Yeah. But, you know, Weezer has a hit song out right now. It's, <laughs> it's a cover of Toto's Africa. <laughs> right. And it's all based on a fan just hammering them to do the cover. <laughs> Is that right? Just a guy on Twitter just was tweeting at Rivers Cuomo every day. <laughs> and just, please, you got to do a cover of this song. And, and now it, it got so big, they did a whole covers album. <laughs> wow. Well, that's funny you say that about Dylan, because like some of my favorite movies were when the leads were in uh, like RoboCop, uh-huh. uh, the original RoboCop, yeah, not the remake. <laughs> uh, Kurtwood Smith had always played uh, good guys, uh huh, and I think that his role in RoboCop was one of the best bad guys of all time, uh huh. And same thing with Hans von Gruber in Die Hard. Yep, he was always you know a good guy yeah. type, and uh, yeah, you know I love it. Airplane is probably the biggest example of. Taking all those serious actors, yeah. Lloyd Bridges, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Stack. I mean, you're too young for all these references. <laughs> um, Leslie Nielsen, of course. Sure. Is, and they were all like, in every 70s detective show as the bad guy. Right. And then the Zuckers said, let's make them comedians. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I apologize for my aggressive tweeting early on in the show. <laughs> I wish I had seen it. Well, I don't think it was anything too over the line, but I, I think uh, I might have taken a picture of the billboard and <laughs> said, this show looks so horrible. In a way, like, you you may have turned people off to watching it in the first place. I might be responsible for why it's not happening. Yeah, maybe if we had opened stronger, we would have closed stronger. Well, I mean, because I found that <laughs> this show was ripe for great guest spots. Uh-huh. Like the Don Johnson one was hilarious. What's up, Joe? Uh, Joe's even chiming in on that. Yeah. Um, you know, like each week could be like a wacky f- yeah, person I, on a flight. And I think if we had gotten a second season, we would have had more of that. You know, I think they probably like, like we had the potential to be sort of a love boat kind of thing right where he had wacky people going to vegas every week you know um we were like will ferrell was probably going to do an episode in the second season um which would have been amazing um and you know once you get will ferrell like then you get other snl people you get you know that that caliber of comedic star it would have been a blast. Like I could see Norm Macdonald who, <laughs> sure, you know, I think we all know uh, Norm has uh, a love of gambling. Uh-huh. So it wouldn't have been out of uh, sure. the realm of reality yeah. to see Norm going to Vegas. Would have loved to get Charles Barkley on there. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, just because uh, each week it was like, there are freaks that go to Vegas. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was just on a Southwest flight to do a comedy. I'm not bragging. <laughs> a, a midweek gig yeah. in Vegas. Weird flex, but okay. And uh, I, I had to go there on a Tuesday night, mm-hmm. the last flight out. And it, it reminded me of being on Jackpot because there was maybe <laughs> eight people on this plane. Uh-huh. And it was a full-size plane. Like, uh, and just the way the uh, stewardesses were interacting with each other and and I was like, wow, this is, I feel like I'm being punked right now. 
so I'm bummed out. Uh, but knowing that you've been on Nash Bridges, <laughs> let's talk about that. Okay. That was your first role. This doesn't come up often, <laughs> my big Nash Bridges. But see, I like to do uh, these type of podcasts. I, b- I believe you'll be on many podcasts in the future. Uh-huh. Talk shows, Conan. It's, it's Earl's Deep Cuts. I like to go deep. <laughs> I'm the master of the... People say uh, sometimes I come off like I'm insulting them. Uh-huh. Like I was once by Cindy Crawford uh-huh. uh, at a uh, sushi restaurant. We were waiting for the ballet, and she looked at me. She knew I knew who she was. Sure. So she was waiting for... She's basically signaling... Get your question out of the way. <laughs> this is one of the most famous supermodels of all time, maybe the most famous. I just looked at her and said, I loved you in Fair Game, <laughs> which might be the worst movie to ever be. I, I'm sorry, Joel Silver, if you're listening. Uh, but I really did like her in Fair Game. Uh-huh. I thought it was a little bit of a reach to see her as a Harvard lawyer. But sure. like, w- what do I know? Yeah. Uh, it, so, uh, you know. and she And she didn't buy it. She was like, ugh. You know, I was complimenting them. Right. But you her. got the sense that she... I had the sense that she's like, come on, dude, that movie sucks. <laughs> let's, let's keep it real. Uh, oh, man. And, you know, I meant that... Well, I... Like, but I feel like even if someone told me that they loved me in Nash Bridges, I'd be like... I'd be... I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe she's gotten crap for Fair Game. She probably has. So, so when you say I loved you in it, she's like, yeah, right. Well, like one time I was at the newsstand in Beverly Hills, and this this interview is about you, not my <laughs> walking around Beverly Hills. But I saw the sensei from Karate Kid. Uh huh. Not the one with Will Smith's kid. Right, Pat Morita. No, uh, Mar- I I even know his name, oh. Martin Cove. Oh. Who was the Cobra Kai sensei? Oh, the Cobra. Kai the leader sensei. of the Cobra Kai. Got it. Got it. And I just walked up to him and said, "Sweep the leg, Johnny." <laughs> yeah. Now, I thought he'd be like, hey, this guy knows who I am. Yeah. But you could tell he had a look in his eyes like he was going, dude, I've been in other films. Right. That movie was out 33 years ago. I was like, yeah, man. So, so Nash Bridges. Right. I mean, how did you get into that? I mean, like, t- take me from, like, you said that was the first thing you did. Yeah, I did that in San Francisco because that was shot there and I lived there. Um, that's where I was born and raised. Um, so yeah, so that was like my first big thing that I did. And then like maybe a couple years later I moved or maybe a year later I moved down here. Um, but yeah, that just came out from like a normal audition. Nothing, nothing too sexy or exciting. Uh, you know, it was a big deal for me. Um, cause I was working with Don Johnson and, and Cheech. Um, and Cheech was lovely. Um, Don was executive. You know, what's funny is Don, uh, I told Don I was in Nash Bridges and he sort of, he sort of like sighed almost like, cause I think he was, uh, he was not sober during Nash, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's possible he wasn't. Yeah. And so he sort of sighed, you know, maybe I was reading too much into it, but I think in a way of being like, uh, you know, I hope I wasn't a dick to you. <laughs> well, I mean, I do find it funny how someone like that uh, or, or musicians maybe, uh, Anyone who's famous, when you compliment them on something they did a while ago. Yeah. Uh, like I saw um, Todd Rundgren. Uh, he was on this street. He, looked, he Very famous singer. He was in oh, the, okay. the 70s band called Utopia. No and he's, musicians at all. 
Well, I have a tremendous knowledge of... You uh, seem like sort of an encyclopedia of... of useless. <laughs> I could tell you what, what episodes Peter Stormar was in Prison Break. <laughs> uh, but he was... Uh, have did you ever... You, did you know Did you know about the Peter Stormar Easter eggs in LA to Vegas? No. Bro, you got to watch it back. There's a line from a Peter Stormar movie in every episode. Really? Yep. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> See, this is why I do this. Now, can people get LA to Vegas? Is it on like Hulu yeah, I think or it's on Hulu? Yeah. Um, worth watching, folks. I'm telling you, please. This is how it starts. I don't ask you guys for much. Right. I you know, Family Guy went away. Right? Didn't it go away and then it came back? Didn't it? There's a few shows <laughs> that have. I, I'm telling you. I'm not giving up hope. <laughs> that would be a dream come true. Well, I mean, I know when I'm dying up here, I got canceled. Uh, you know, I live my life by don't worry what you don't worry about what you can't control. Sure. And so I had the feeling it wasn't going to get picked up. Just it's, it was on Showtime. And, you know, the number one complaint I got on that show from my friends is like, dude, I don't have Showtime. Oh, OK. Uh, so I was like, OK. But then you see something like Ray Donovan be such a hit. Right. Like, well, uh, how come that's a hit? <laughs> uh, when you got the word, do you get a call from your agent? Like, I don't have an agent. I'm rogue, Amir. <laughs> I pretty much put it together on my own. Oh, wow. Do you get, uh, like, what was your, like, I mean, since you kind of knew possibly it wasn't coming back, do you get sad or you just move on to the next gig? Well... I would say that this one was, I was sadder than, than usual because I got so close with people and because of that weird 10 days of being sort of jerked around by Fox of like, maybe you're going to come back. Maybe you're not, you know, like if they, like they had said, we're going to know by Friday. Right. And then it, it kept being like, uh, not Friday. We're going to know by Monday, uh, probably by Wednesday. They kept doing that. And it was this awful sort of purgatory that we were in. So that sucked. And then at the end of it to be like, nope, not happening. Um, was tough. Not to mention the fact that, like, I feel like we really found our stride towards the end. We, you know, we had so much fun with each other. I, I was like, I was like, man, if we get a season two, we're really gonna level up, right? As far as like viewership, as far as guest stars, as far as you know, having stuff to do. You know, I was, I was hoping to join the writing staff season two. Like, I had all these like hopes and dreams. Also, I, um, I was making. I was making 10 grand an episode for the oh. last few episodes of the season. Oh. And I was going to get a raise to 40 oh. if we got a season Good two. Good for you. So that was also pretty fucking disappointing, right? Like, like you know, the... the, the yeah, no, I know. The, uh, so I've, I've never had a situation like that where I was making a certain amount and was waiting on a potential enormous raise. I mean, right. I, I, like I've done pilots before. Um, and, and it's like, well, if this gets picked up, then you'll be making this much. Right. But like, I've never had such a huge potential jump in my life. So that was really a bummer. Well, <laughs> fingers crossed guys. <laughs> Um, I mean, do you just get right back into auditioning for things? Um, yeah, yeah. Although at that point, you know, I couldn't get another TV show. 
So just, you know, auditioning for like guest stars and stuff like that. Um, and then in, so we found that out in like May and then in November I booked another pilot. So, um, so and when do you like, cause I don't think people realize that the weight and catch and mouse game, you, I yeah. mean, it's constant waiting, waiting, waiting. You booked a pilot, but like, yeah. So, so we shot it in November. Um, they're going to be screening it for Amazon, uh, in February. And Amazon has until June to decide, but we're all hopeful that they'll decide by March. Right. Uh, you know, that we don't, we don't think it'll take them that long to decide. So yeah. So now I'm just like waiting, hoping. And like, uh, can you still go out since you're kind of in limbo? Can you go out for other pilots or? I can't go out for other pilots. So I'm locked into Amazon until June. Right now, if they decide in March that we're not going to pick it up, then I'll 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 be available at, starting in March. Um, so what do you do in the in the interim? Like you get back into your stand up roots? I can. I, can, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't call it my stand up roots. Um, I, I would say it was a strange uh, 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 detour that I took. Uh, well, but, tell us about that detour. <laughs> well, um, so so my wife started doing stand up before I did, and uh, and. My, you know, I was sitting, things were a little slow for me and she and my manager both were like, you know, if you did stand up, it might be good for you to sort of expand your, uh, your profile a little bit. You're creating your own material. And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I've always been a huge fan of stand up, a huge consumer of stand up. Um, and so I give it a shot, you know, I wrote like a really good 10 to 15 minutes, uh, that I was proud of, but, um, but then I didn't write anything new for like a good six months or so. Don't let that stop. (laughs) Well, I know that a lot of people ride the same 10 minutes for years. Yeah. You're looking at one, (laughs) (laughs) but, but for me, I couldn't do that because I just got bored. So I was like, I need to be creating more material but I, I couldn't do it because I was too busy with acting and, and I didn't quite have the, um, the work ethic to do it. You know what I mean? Like, like I was like, if you need, if you have 15 good minutes and you want to build it into 30, you need to be going on a lot of open mics. You need to be getting up all the time. You need to be like having writing sessions with your, with your bros and, you know, working on jokes and trying shit out. And I just didn't have the energy or the work ethic. So I, so I just kind of quit. And now I'll do stand up. Like if someone's like, Hey, we're doing a benefit. Will you do right. 10 minutes? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, but, but it's not something I pursue anymore. Cause I don't think people realize how grueling filming is. Uh, yeah, sure. And, mean, and well, not just filming, but auditioning. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, you know, it, it's, um, Sure, you're only in the room for five minutes, but if if you tack on a all the driving and b all the preparing to get your auditions in a good shape, it takes a lot of sort of mind space. And if you've got two a day, with like what has been pretty typical for me, it's it's uh, it's a lot. And when you uh, walk into a room, do you ever like say the last uh, six to seven months? Do casting directors go, oh, that's the guy from L.A. to Vegas? Um, I don't know. I don't know how popular that show was in town. Um, the fact is most most of the casting directors in town know me. 
So it's so for them, it's not so much like, oh, the guy from LA to Vegas. It's more just like, oh, that's Amir. Right. Um, because you pretty much only audition at the same, not you, but like, uh, at least with commercials and some sitcoms, you audition either on La Brea. Yeah. I don't want to get too local for you out of towners <laughs> here. So, you know, if you audition a lot, you do become kind of friendly with uh, sure. that small circle. Yeah. There's really only about five major places where you audition. Now, within those places, there's a lot of casting directors, right? Like, oh, sure. On La Brea, there's like 10 different people there. But there's really only like four or five buildings that you drive to for commercial auditions. For for film and TV, there's a lot more than that. But but yeah, but even, even most of the film and TV people have an idea of who I am. See, I luck out because uh, most casting people see me doing stand-up. Uh-huh. So it's it's like, okay... We're not going to call this guy in to be the happy-go-lucky neighbor, <laughs> right? So, right. Uh, th- and the voiceover, I l- love voiceover. Oh, it's work. a blast! It's you just go in there and read, mm-hmm. and you're out in two minutes because mm-hmm. you do uh, some voiceover stuff too, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, like I'll do commercials, and uh, I've done some promo work, and uh, and you know, some cartoons. I was a series regular on the TV version of The Lion King. Not the Lion King. Uh, what the hell am I saying? Kung Fu Panda. I tried out for Lion King recently, but uh, yeah, Kung Fu Panda, the TV version, the TV version of Turbo, the snail show. Um. Uh. So yeah, yeah, I I, I do a fair amount of voiceover. Keep busy with that. So being from Frisco, mm-hmm. making the leap into the L.A. jungles. Yeah. I like to give my fans advice. Okay. From people who are successful, like yourself. All right. Because I looked up you on IMDb. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy works a lot. Yeah. Uh, how do you keep... Uh, and you're married. Uh-huh. How do you keep it all going in this wacky business? Oh, boy. And you have a great dog. He's an awesome dog. Um, Jesus, how do I keep it going? What do you mean? Like, well, what going? Like, I've lost... Uh, Your sanity? Pr- well, well, in this business or your or your work, both. <laughs> work is just luck, man. Where so much of work is luck. I mean, talent really helps, right? But you also have to be like, I'm lucky that. Look, I work in commercials a lot, right? And two of the main reasons I work in commercials a lot is that uh, you can't quite tell what ethnicity I am immediately. I would say just, uh, I would, if I didn't know you, yeah. which, which I guess I don't, <laughs> I would say possibly Italian. Okay. Uh, Israeli. Okay. Uh, Mexican. Okay. So uh, you, you've got a great, uh, like I have a friend of mine, uh, his name's Gabriel Tigerman. He's one of the top commercial actors. Yeah, I know, Gabe. It, it's so weird that he... I can't describe him to you. Like, he's just a white dude. Yeah. So you have, like, that look, but of maybe a darker descent. Sure. Yeah. Like a, like, basically like a, like a Eastern Mediterranean look. Right? Yeah. Right? So, uh, so that is, that is useful to commercials because they can plug you in and a lot of different people see themselves in you. Right. Right? The Italians look at me and go, oh, that guy kind of looks like me. The Persians look at me and go, that guy kind of looks like me. Same Israelis, you know, different Arabs, whatever. Maybe even some Indians. 
Um, so that's useful. And then the other good thing that is useful to commercial producers is I have big expressive eyes, which is useful in a 15 second spot, right? Like if you're super squinty, like it's not as useful, right? That's just, that's just random luck on my part. Right? Good for you. I'm not killing the eye game. <laughs> that's just like, that's, that's just luck. So, so, so the way you get work is, is, is be talented, be ready, but also be lucky. Right. Uh, and I say, am I wrong in thinking that hard work creates most luck? Hard work creates a lot of luck, but I don't know if it creates most. You know what I mean? Like, I'm also lucky that um, I was born in San Francisco and I don't have uh, a noticeable accent, right? Like, I don't have a New York accent. I don't have a Southern accent. I don't have a Middle Eastern accent. That's just luck, right? So I, a lot. So I'm booking a lot more because I'm just lucky not, to not have an accent. That's not hard work. Right. Right. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things and then, you know, and then again, there's times where you get lucky where sometimes I've heard people didn't get jobs because they looked like the producer's ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend. Oh, right. And the producer was like, ah, that person was good, but they just remind me of bad memories. So that's just bad luck. Right. So for whatever reason, I've been lucky to not look like anyone's ex. Maybe. Maybe I have. Who knows? I mean, you don't look like any of my exes, but (laughs) I'd be worried if you did. Um, So so look, the thing is, you can't control your luck, but you can control how hard you work. So just keep working hard. So that's for all you uh, actors and comics who listen to this show. Now, we're going to talk for a few more minutes, but we're going to cut the Facebook live feed now. So you have to go to Apple Podcasts and listen to the rest. Do it. Where can people, for the people who aren't going to join us on the journey that people are lazy, so lazy, free content, (laughs) I'm getting you celebrity guests. Is your podcast not free content? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But I like to do like teasers. Sure. Gotcha. So I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Then I'm going to cut it right before you start. Oh, shit. So then people are like, oh, that's a good question. We want to hear the answer. Yeah. I mean, podcasts are free. Yeah, right. From Joe Rogan's Most, to mine. Yeah. Uh, but I think people who don't do the Apple thing yeah. get scared okay. that they have to pay for it. If they're like an Android user. Yeah. But then that's why you have a, uh, a site like SoundCloud. Yep. Which is, I don't want to get too deep into podcast <laughs> Weeds. Te- technical talk. Sure. But no one. I like pe- Overcast. Do you, have, do you know Overcast? That's where I listen to my podcasts. The Apple podcast app sucks and every subsequent release of it makes it worse. I don't know how it's possible, but I despise the Apple podcast app. Well, I'm having, I I use overcast and I like it. I don't know if it's available on Android, but check it out. I'm getting paid. Just fucking like it. Well, I'm having problems with Apple uh, right now uh, because someone reported me for music violation. Oh, now long story short, I don't want to, this is not why I had you on the podcast. <laughs> All right. But uh, so I was like for like two years consistently in the top 10 in iTunes comedy, yeah. which is a big, like it yeah, really helped cool. me get, you know, it just helps to reach out to someone like you who's on a TV show. Hey, you know, I have a semi-popular podcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, here's the the charts. Uh, and you go, okay, it's not a complete waste of my time. <laughs> right. You didn't even need the charts. 
No, I asked my wife. I was like, is Earl a shitbag? And she's like, oh, he's a comedian. And as far as I know, he's not a shitbag. I was like, great. Good enough for me. Well, thank you to your lovely wife. Let's get her on the podcast. <laughs> I'm already lining up future guests. Does she st- is she still in? Well, so the, the music. She doesn't do. No, she doesn't do stand up anymore. What Can I ask what she does? Yeah, she's a writer and she also teaches people how they can travel for free. And get you- to the point workshop.com. If you if you want to if you want to learn to, how you can travel for free, get she's to, also got a podcast. Get to the point podcast. And, and that, what does that cover? That's like traveling, traveling for uh, uh, saving money on traveling, saving money uh, uh, on shopping. Um, hold on, Joey, stop it. No, it's all right. It's just annoying. Uh, for those of you uh, who aren't watching on Facebook Live, Joey is a Pyrenees dog who's just chilling right now. I believe he was uh, cleaning balls. himself. Yeah. Who wouldn't? <laughs> uh, yeah, so she helps people save money. Saving It's called Get to the Point Podcast. Saving money, no joke. Because there are a lot of, uh, I mean, we both travel a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are some, uh, I don't want to say scams the wrong word, but there are some uh, tricks mm-hmm. to save money. Yeah. Um, you know, flying in first class, upgrades. Yep. Uh, you yeah, know. We, fly for, we fly first class uh, all the time and it's usually free. Well, I just found this great uh, thing where, at least on Virgin... And I, they don't plug this podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, usually no one could afford first class. Sure. So I would buy coach. Yep. And then the day of the flight, just go, are there any upgrades? Yep. Yep. And they're like, yeah, it's a hundred bucks. Yep. So it was now, of course, there were some flights that were busy and, and right. but uh, you know, tips like that, I think would be uh, a but, great value Yeah. to, uh, and there's, I flew recently with uh, a lady friend who likes her anonymity. Oh, um, <clears throat> Chandler Barbie, and uh, she's with that uh, service where you don't have to take your shoes off. and, and uh, Sure, TSA pre. Right. But it's only like, uh, I don't, I think she says like 80 bucks or something. Yeah, 80 and bucks it, for a year. And it's amazing. It's fantastic. I mean, you, there's no way. To, you don't, you don't do that? I didn't until I did it with her. But you're, a, oh my God, Earl. Well, first of all, all comics need to do TSA pre because you guys are traveling all the time. And that's where we're going to stop at comics. Where can people find you on Twitter and Instagram? Amir Talai. Well, I lucked out. Yeah. Because, and I'm not trying to name drop. I'm not trying to impress you. <laughs> but for four years, yeah, I was Rob Schneider's opener. Oh, you can do it. <laughs> he would have been great on LA to Vegas. I'm sorry. I'm still holding sure. on. Yeah. But like when you fly with someone like Rob, yeah, it's like the gates open. Sure, I'm sure. I could have been a terrorist, yeah, with a bomb vest on, and they were like, "Oh, Mr. Schneider, is this guy with you? Perfect, go ahead." Yeah, great. Uh, okay, so now I get why you didn't. But but yeah, but now that yeah, and you should get you you probably do you travel internationally much? Um, to Canada, uh, okay. but not a lot. Uh, so, yeah, so you should still be doing global entry. Although the cam the camera uh, the comedy world and overseas for American comics is actually quite good. Like, uh, yeah, I imagine so. Uh, Australia sure. is a big, uh, you know, uh, American comedy hub. Uh, the UK is huge for American comics. <laughs> yeah, we've got a glut of comics here. We have too many comics, so oh, we yeah. export them. 
Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, here's one thing that bothers me about uh, stand-up is it seems to be the last gasp for everyone from another profession to get into. <laughs> right. Yeah, like me, right? It wasn't going well. But you started kind of, uh, you, you, you well, had some comedy uh, yearnings. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So right. I was an actor, an improviser. So comedy was sort of a natural outgrowth of that. I mean, I was kicked out of the groundlings, full disclosure. <laughs> kicked out? I, I, you know, I go rogue, Amir. I don't like... Hold on. Kicked out as as in, like, let go, or kicked out as in, you got to get the fuck out of here? I would say both. Oh, wow. Well... What did you do? Once again, this is not about me, Amir. <laughs> but I'm interested. Well, um, I thought I was probably seven years into comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I want to do improv uh, to... Uh, learn how to work and more listen to other people good although i do think i'm much more suited to stand up yeah where it's you know a lot less listening well it's yeah it's like you guys listen to me <laughs> right. uh but i thought you know i want to be able to listen to the crowd more like pick up on the signals they give me okay so i i did level one of the groundlings and uh you know how they do it at that yeah. time uh, have you done the groundlings yeah yeah, yeah. oh I came up through the groundlings yeah so, you know, I, it's 12 sessions. Mm-hmm. The sixth one, they give you your evaluation. Right. Sean Hogan was my t- instructor. I Don't get mad at me, Sean. I'm not the one not casting you. Right. Really. <laughs> that guy was as bitter as a lemon. Oh, wow. And he's like, you know, Earl, you're the team leader. Oh. You're the funniest guy in class. Oh. You just need to work on your space work. Okay. Which, for those of you who aren't familiar with... Uh, Improv. Improv. Amir, could you tell the crowd what space work is? Well, yeah, like when you're when you're doing improv and you pick up an object, uh, you have to sort of like bring that object to life with your hands, right? So it 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 helps the audience understand what the object is instead of just saying like, "Here, let me grab this hammer," right? Instead of just labeling it, you you pick up the object like it has some weight to it, and you start like hammering a nail. Right. And people go, oh, okay, that's a hammer. So that you so that you can actually like talk in the scene without having to like run your mouth about what's in your hands. Now, in full disclosure, my space work did need work. That doesn't surprise me. Like I literally would Earl, uh, there's a phone call. I would literally go be like this. Oh, you'd have like your pinky next to your mouth. Horrific. Right. No one no one holds a phone like that. Exactly. Your hand is not the phone. Right. You, would, you are holding the phone, which has weight to it. So I agree. Right. That. That'd be like if you like were shooting someone and you stick your finger out like like a like your right. finger is the gun. That's not a thing, right? You want to hold it like your finger is on the trigger. So I I would agree uh, with Mr. Hogan's assessment. <laughs> okay. Of my space Great. work. So uh, far, so good. So, but he essentially led me to believe, hey, you're going to pass. You just need to work a little bit on your space work. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Maybe. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, Amir. <laughs> I've never said that, but I pick up signals. Okay. That's the vibe I got. Do you know? Because you said that you took the class to be better at picking up signals. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but like when someone says... Uh, to you, you're the funniest guy in class. Now, I realize improv is not necessarily about getting laughs from the standpoint of a joke, a joke joke. Like, right. It's Well, it's about getting laughs, but it's not about making jokes. Right. It's a situation. Yeah. Uh, and then when he says you're the team leader. Yep. Like, to me, that's saying, 
and then he did the space work line. That's right. saying, just work a little bit on this. Yeah. You'll be good to go. Okay. Now we get to the 12th class. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know how it was when you were there. Flew through it. But the 12th class, <laughs> you know, they sit you down at the end and, and yeah. give you the thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. I went into the room. It was very Feeling good. I, you know, I'm not saying I felt cocky because <laughs> I'm not a cocky person. Okay. I get my place in the entertainment world. Mm-hmm. And that's like, and I'm dying up here. I think the boom operator was ahead of me in the call sheet. <laughs> so I get it. Uh-huh. I, I began to sit down in the chair. My ass literally didn't hit the seat. Oh my God. And he's like, Earl, you know you're not good enough to do this, right? <gasps> now, that's a pretty big leap from wow. team leader, funniest guy, to you're not good enough to do this. You should take the class again. Wow. And I just, you know, I might have said oh. a couple. I said, well, fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a straight shooter. Sure. Okay. If you said to me, Earl, there's a table read for L.A. to Vegas. There's two lines, and they need it delivered dry and sarcastically. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah. If they said, you and Amir have a seven-page scene uh-huh. where it's like De Niro and Pacino at the diner in Heat, uh-huh. I probably wouldn't be good for that. Right. Okay. So, uh, you know, I just felt, he's like, you just need to take the class again. I was uh-huh. like, well, that's 800 bucks, dude. Yeah. Like, uh, at yeah. that time. Wow. Uh, so I, this? this was uh, two weeks ago. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I took it a good 10, 12 years ago. And back then it was not that expensive. My goodness. I mean, this okay. was a while ago. Okay. okay. Uh, anyway, that doesn't matter. Well, uh, I'm Jewish. Believe me, it matters. Uh, so you said, go fuck yourself. I'm, I, I'm the, not taking the class again. Well, because I thought, well, if I'm good enough to pass t- to the second level. Uh-huh. I, I was definitely good enough for that. Yeah. Performance group? Probably not. Right. But I just felt it was like a pyramid scheme. It's like, so if no one leaves the performance group, it, no one can graduate to the writers group. Yeah. So like, what what, what is this? What are you, uh, the, the Wolf of Wall Street on Melrose? <laughs> Jordan Belfort? <laughs> so uh, I was bummed out because I did enjoy... Uh, the class. I mean, he was a great teacher. Yeah. I don't know, Sean. Uh, um, so. Uh, that's a shame. Well, I mean. I'm sorry it didn't work out. Well, it's all good. I was just, it, I got so excited, like, the first sure. day of class. He was like, you remind me of Phil Hartman. I'm uh-huh. like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, you do. This is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I have tremendous respect for you. What did you get out of the Groundlings? Oh man, I loved it. I like I went through every level uh and I got up to the Sunday company, which is like Asshole. Sort of the B team. <laughs> the B team. Uh it's not you don't get into the main company. I lasted uh oh I tried out for this commercial. I lasted um six uh months in the Sunday company, and at the end of that six months, uh uh I was uh let go. They were like, You're uh, you're not good enough to move up. You're not good enough to stay. Uh, so so you're done now. Um, I wasn't good at all the, uh, you know, wigs and glasses that they like at the Groundlings. Um, but I, but I um, you know, I'm a funny guy. And uh, I think I, I had a facility for the style overall. Um, and 
you know, I just sort of worked on my improv chops, my quickness. Um, and then I made some great friends. I was in it. I was in the program for probably like three years or so. Um, Does that fire you up when you hear basically you're not like good enough? No, you know, I swear to God at every level, I, ke I kept expecting to get cut. I kept expecting to get <laughs> cut at every point. And for me, I was like, I'm just going to do this for as long as I can because it's so fun. Um, I thought I would last longer than six months in the Sunday company because the max is a year and a half. So usually if they're like, we're not sure about you, we're going to give you another six months in the Sunday company. Usually they give you another six months. And then at a year and a half, if they're like, we don't think you have enough for the main company. So hit, hit the bricks. Um, I thought I'd have another shot. I thought I'd have another six months because I thought I did pretty good in my six months. I thought I put up good sketches on Sunday nights, but apparently they weren't good enough. Um, but I didn't even think I was going to make it that far. Uh, for me, I was just having so much fun and I liked the people and I liked the style. And I was like, I'm just going to take what I can, as much as I can from this, both educationally and as far as like building up my chops and, and making friends. And then once I get the boot, I get the boot. Uh, and I was definitely bummed. But ultimately, you know, I, I already had a career at the time that I got the boot. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at your IMDb page right now. <laughs> and first of all, we're going to talk about Bosch in two seconds. Oh, please, okay. The, Titus Welliver, if you're out there, the, the door's open. Come on in. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're working more than most people. Yeah, I've been I've been pretty fortunate. Um, I've but do you still get rejected? Like for I mean, because I, because sure. I, I think people would look at your IMDb. Uh huh. I, I mean, you have uh, 113 credits. Yeah. <laughs> It's and, still sort of unreal to hear that, but yeah. but that's like uh, yeah. like you have uh, four things going on right now, <laughs> right? Well, four things that I've shot recently ish that are still to come out. So, uh, how do you deal with the rejection now, and how did you deal with it uh, when you first started booking gigs and getting a tasty, and then not? I mean, look, the odds are stacked against you as an actor and as a stand-up. Yeah, you don't have to tell me so, that. Right? <laughs> so like statistically, you're going to, you're not going to make it, right? Mm -hmm. so, so the only way for you to make it is to beat the odds. So every time you don't get a job, that's like mathematically appropriate. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like you shouldn't get most jobs that you try out for uh, because it's, it's really hard. I was like, get a load of this guy on the TV. He's got no teeth. We're watching it right now, and, and some guests get annoyed with this, but uh, I <laughs> left the TV on, and Amir uh, currently is looking at Drew Doughty, uh, star defenseman of the LA Kings, with uh, the jack-o'-lantern smile. He's got no teeth. <laughs> Looks like an Amber Alert lineup right there. Terrifying. Um, um, but uh, so, so you just have to tell yourself that, uh, that you're going to keep beating the odds. Um, until you, uh, don't. Right. Right. Like, so like, so my expectation is that I'm not going to get this job that I'm trying out for today. Um, but, uh, you know, doing everything I can to book it, but expecting that I'm not going to get it. And, and, ex but expecting that I will get something in the future. Because people, right? if you, if you think this is your last audition, 
and you have to book it or else, you're fucked. But if you think, well, here's an audition that I'm doing today. I probably won't get it, but there will be others to come. Then you have this sort of perspective of like, if not today, then eventually. Right. And if eventually never comes, then you got to quit. But, but no, you don't. But, <laughs> well, you should. It's over, Johnny. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> Sorry, Colonel Troutman. But, um, but like, but for me, and I, especially for me, I can look back and be like, okay, I've got 113 credits. So chances are I'm going to keep working. Even if I don't work this week, this month, this year, chances are I'm going to continue beating the odds because I, I appear to be an odds beater. But that might not happen. You know, when I turn 50, maybe there'll be a fucking downturn. Don't say that because I just turned 50. <laughs> But some people turn 50 and that's when they start booking. Well, well, I mean, in stand-up, well, I mean, you always need uh, character people in uh, yeah. in TV shows. Like, sure. L.A. to Vegas is the perfect, uh, you know, example of that where, yeah, you need a Captain Dave. You need a Captain Dave to be this probably pretty good-looking, womanizing type of... Uh, yeah. Handsome guy. Handsome dude. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, probably. but you also needed a co-pilot to yeah. to be eccentric looking and, right. and Peter Stormar to they all just can't be good looking people. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, so there's probably more longevity for character actors, but but not always. You know? Sometimes character actors just people get tired of certain character actors. Because they work too much, which yeah. is a crazy uh you know, like Tommy Lee. Now he's not a character actor, but uh, Tommy Lee Jones, not Tommy <laughs> Lee. The, well, Tommy Lee is a character actor. Believe me. His uh, work on that porno was not only was he the lead actor, but also the camera guy and boom guy. <laughs> but even that happened to Tommy Lee Jones, that, you know, three or four year period where it just seemed like he was in every movie. Uh-huh. Uh, so... You know, he was like in Men in Black, that sure. that movie with the Wesley Snipes, The Fugitive. Yeah, uh, and it was like you kind of got burnt out on him. Sure, but he's great. Sure, yeah, and that's the same as certain character actors. Yeah, you know, and then also it's you know it's different for men and women, right? It's always harder for women because there's fewer roles for them. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, you take someone like Titus Welliver. Like mm-hmm. I, now, I know he's been a working actor for a long time, but he yeah. seems to within the last five six seven years like because the sons of anarchy and uh-huh. and bosch was like oh this guy's getting his pop at right he looks around 50 yeah right but he, i don't think he was a star for until then right i mean i think he was probably a known commodity yeah right may, may, you know i knew him from the beer commercial or he was in some alcohol commercial uh-huh, sure. maybe a whiskey or a beer okay uh that's not really helping <laughs> so you know that black basketball player yeah it's great <laughs> he's really amazing uh but then i saw him on sons of anarchy and i was like oh that, that's the guy from the Modelo commercial right. um so but in stand-up i think it, it's a little more you can make it at a later age because it's not necessarily based on your looks right and that's right yeah i mean my guess is you know i I don't know too much about like the stand-up world but you don't want to but (laughs) it's a dark fucking world but i think there's people who are like who are sort of talented out the gate right and then there's and then there's guys who like do their thing um 
and maybe their point of view isn't necessarily sort of like interesting to a wider audience until a certain time. Jesus, you know I hope I mean? so. Like, look at like like Lewis Black, right? Like, I'm guessing that he was doing that angry ranting thing from the time he was 20. Right. Right. He didn't turn 40 and, and start doing that. So probably like it didn't work for for a 20 year old guy to be that angry. Right. Like, what are you fucking angry at? You're you're young. Right. But by the time he hit 30, 40, 50, like, oh, this is fun. Like, this makes sense to me. Sure. Right. And he started he started getting more more notice. Right. So sometimes you got to wait until to until like your age and the audience and your thing are in that perfect spot you're preaching to the choir brother right yeah uh but like some of my favorite character actors are just like guys in their late 40s early 50s who just i don't have that you know like titus weller right he's just got that face where i just want to watch him yeah whether he's a good guy or bad guy right um i mean so (laughs) fingers crossed that my dick jokes will get me into the game yeah, right. Cause right, cause cause <laughs> there may be a time when people are stoked about dick jokes. Well, not in this Me Too movement, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if uh, maybe you just need to wait it out. No, I, <laughs> believe me, I will. I'll be the last guy doing uh, you know Harvey Weinstein zingers uh, <laughs> at the. I mean, is it scary? Because you get interviewed a lot. Uh huh. Not a ton. Well, just for the sake of this podcast, sure. you get it. Like that one wrong answer to a question on a red carpet or a tweet. <laughs> uh, like, I don't think I've ever recalled a, an era of the entertainment business where you can be taken down with one tweet, one stupid joke. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you can be taken down by that. I, I, I think, I think what it is more is that, is that if you say something uh, terrible, uh everyone wonders if that uh is who you are at your core right and and after you say that terrible thing you have the opportunity to clarify that for everyone right? like the uh so so you know like like uh like um the governor from Virginia not doing a great job right now. Right, exactly. So, so you know, if if um, that so that happened, you know, I don't know, I don't know if there's any coming back from that uh, because it's 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 so it's tough. So sort of here, here's the problem. He's done a lot of good work, right, over the last however long he's been in public service. But the problem with that situation is, I think that it places in doubt his moral standing right. so that even the good stuff that he's done or may continue to do is, is uh, it's hard for him to have the trust of his constituents. Right. So it's not about like what's in his heart and has he grown I'm sure he's grown because everyone grows over a 20 year period. Right. But, but, but in your position as a, as a, as a, uh, public representative, you know, that's different. Now, if, you know, if some, if, uh, if I say Patton Oswalt, he's, he, I think he's pretty universally recognized as like a good dude, right? Yeah. Um, if he were to say something racist, 
like in a weird moment on a red carpet, you know, I, I, I think that he would have to, what that creates in that moment is when he says something racist is it makes everyone go, hold on a second. Is he racist? Right. And he has the opportunity in that moment to demonstrate whether or not he is racist. And I don't think that's a bad thing, right? What it does is it gives him the opportunity to um, genuinely apologize, to uh, make amends, and to be better going forward, right? If he does that, I think there can be depending on what he said and the situation, there can be forgiveness, right? But if he chooses to make it worse or chooses to not deal with it because he doesn't believe it's important, well, then he is saying something by his actions, right? He's saying, "Mm, I don't care if you think it's racist, fuck off, right? And it's like, well, man, I was, I was going to give you the opportunity to make it okay. Why did you, why did you tell me to fuck off? Right. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't worry me really. You know, I, I think that, you know, I don't, I, I try not to be racist. I try not to be sexist, but you know, being a, a, a product of our culture, I think it, you can't help but be sexist or racist at times. And if I ever say or do anything racist or sexist, you know, I, I will do my best to, um, to make it right, um, to do better, to be better. Um, and it's up to people to decide whether or not, you know, I, I'm given a chance to sort of continue doing what I love. Well, yeah, I mean, but I'm I, not, I'm not scared. I, 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 and I, I think if, I think if one of the biggest problems is how reluctant people are to genuinely apologize. Right. I think if you start from a place of like, I'm not perfect and I may step in shit, you will be much more willing to apologize. But to, you know, to look at, Kevin Hart resisting apologizing for so long was just so strange to me because it's like you said some shitty stuff. It really hurt people. Just say you were sorry, you know, do things to make it better, make amends. Right. Like if I look, if I, if I accidentally step on your foot, right. And you're a much bigger guy than I am, but let's, let's say it really hurt you when I stepped on your foot. Right. I might say, whoa, sorry about that, right? But if you're in intense pain, <laughs> right? Ow. <laughs> then, I, then I need to do more than say, hey, man, said sorry. What the fuck else you want me to do, right? Maybe I go, uh, man, can I bring you some ice? Right. Uh, do you need to go to the doctor? If you need to go to the doctor, I'll take you to the doctor because that was definitely my fault that I stepped on your foot. I didn't mean to step on your foot, <laughs> right? But- but I go, I will go to you and be like, I hurt you. I didn't mean to do that. Let's work together and, and, and tell me how I can make this better. Right. As opposed to me going, you know, me going on Ellen and being like, Earl's being a bitch. Cause I said, sorry, I don't know what the fuck else he wants. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I mean, I kind of like how he, it seemed like he, he wanted to say, I'm not going to apologize. It was uh-huh. a joke. Right. So what I, I, I think ultimately 
the joke wasn't maybe that funny. Uh-huh. And that's where the problem is. Like, I know Daniel Tosh had a rape joke uh-huh. that, uh, you know, it's a horrible subject, but, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, the, I've done 9-11 jokes, uh, uh-huh. obviously not the... I think if the joke is funny, you get a a lot of leeway. Uh, I mean, I, I think that I think that you can. I mean, I hate to boil it down to something that simple, but if you look at some of the harder edge jokes, uh, you know, I think the, you know, they get not a free pass, but it's like, oh, that well, that is pretty funny. Well, I think that it. I mean, I think the question is funny to who, right? Oh, sure, it's different. And I, and, and I think that um, I think that if I were to tell a joke about, um, let's say, a disabled black person, right? Uh, in any audience that I tell that joke in, chances are there won't be a disabled black person, right? Because that's mm-hmm. that's two different demographics, right? So, so the people there might laugh at it, right? Um, but if it's hurtful, if there does happen to be a disabled black person there, or if someone there knows a disabled black person and it's hurtful to them, right? To me, it doesn't matter if it's funny. Right. Right. To me, it's like, look, well, sure, these people laughed, um, but, but this was hurtful, right? So even when when Kevin Hart was doing his joke about breaking a dollhouse over his gay kid's head, um, people laughed at that, right? So to to some, and maybe to many, that was funny, right? But the other side of that is it's also hurtful, right? Sure. So so I think I think it's to him to say, look, I, I thought it was funny, um, but I see now that it was hurtful. Right. And um and I I think instead of saying, therefore I won't do it again which I think is a cop-out, I think the move is to say, and I apologize for hurting people. Sure. I, I, I didn't think of it that way before. Now that I've, now that I've been educated, I see how that was hurtful, and I'm sorry to the people I hurt, and I won't do that again. Yeah, I think if you're genuine in your apology, uh, like the, I don't know if you saw the governor on Saturday, he gave a press Northam, conference. I didn't see it, no. It was the worst apology. <laughs> Shit. He's like, uh, well, you know, you know how hard shoe polish is to get off your face. No, Jesus. And it's like, dude, like you could have just said it was a bad joke. You were trying to imitate Michael Jackson. Right. You're a character actor. But like it was his only thing was, damn, that shoe polish is hard to get off. So I only yeah. put half of it on. <laughs> yes. that's Like I said, I don't understand why people aren't better at apologizing. I feel like, I feel like it, the whole ethos of like, I'm, you know, Trump says this a lot and a lot, actually a lot of Republicans say this a lot. I'm not going to apologize. No apologies, no apologies. And I'm like, why is that a good thing? No apologies. It's like, uh, if you hurt someone, you should apologize. It's actually really simple to me. Oh yeah. I don't get why it's complicated. Right. Like the U.S. has done some shitty stuff in the past to other countries and to our own citizens. Fucking apologize, apologize and make amends. I mean, every I, time I step on your foot, I'm going to apologize. Well, I think it depends on uh, the you know obviously the individual. Like Trump, 
and I'm not a hater or a supporter. He's not going to apologize, you know. Right? No, just, he would never. It's and not that's happening. one of the reasons he's a shitbag is because uh, he can't he can't fathom apologizing. He's an asshole. Yeah, I mean, I laugh at the people who expect him to turn it around. It's like, dude, he's 71. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You think, I mean, I'm 50 and I'm pretty set in my ways sure. from the standpoint of how I behave. Yeah. He ain't apologizing. <laughs> no. Although I do secretly want him to win in 2020. I just, he's so, Why? he's a maniac. He's a maniac. Don't say that. No, no. Uh, I just, he's so good for comedy. No, he's not. He, no, he's a horrible president, but as a stand up, he gives me material every day. Every president gives you material every day. Yeah, but he gives a lot. But, Does he though? How much of your material is Trump material? Also, do you have any black or gay friends who are who are suffering because of his? All of them, right? So, is it worth it? The material that you're getting? I'm a cold blooded person. No, I, I refuse to believe that. Uh, I think you're just being provocative. Oh no! I mean, I, I well, here's the uh, problem. Are you gonna vote for Trump? I didn't vote for him last time. Okay. Now you're going to vote for him in 2020? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. And this may cause us to, oh, I, I hope this doesn't. It's going to end uh, right here. This might be the end of the inappropriate old pocket. No. <laughs> um, I, can't, I don't vote a lot of times because okay. uh, I don't like either party, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, you know, like I look at in 2020, I, I hope I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But I don't see the Democrats having anyone to beat him. Like they're relying on Be- Beto, uh-huh. who you know couldn't be Ted Cruz. Look, I don't know if the Democrats are going to beat him in 2020, but I know that whoever they put forward will be a better person than him. Oh, 100 percent. Right. So that's why you have to vote against him. You know, like with Hillary, I I couldn't vote for either. I was just like it, it's it, and I'm not like a Hillary basher, like. I just like, she's got her own baggage. There's no way this guy's going to win. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's how unlikable she was, was this guy beat her. Right. But also, <laughs> she, you know, one of the reasons that she had the unlikable rap is the sort of sexism in our culture, the the sort of the bullshit that people were putting out about how all, you know, all of the sort of nonsense propaganda that, you know, the emails. Oh, sure. Right. I like mean, no one, no one, we, we know now that the emails were just bullshit, but, but Fox news and the media just kept pushing the, the emails, the emails, the emails to the point where people were like, I don't know if I trust her. And it's like, wait, we just got fucking bamboozled. They just kept saying emails so often that decent people, like I assume you, I mean, I'm all right. <laughs> go, go, I don't know. She's got problems. She's not likable. Right. Whereas maybe if they didn't harp on her emails, maybe if they talked about how she was way less racist than him, <laughs> that that we wouldn't have had issues with her likability. And maybe if our country wasn't as sexist as it is, we wouldn't have as many issues about her likability. Also, is he likable? But, he's terribly unlikable. But somehow so is Bernie. He's an amazing salesman from the standpoint of like when he said the grab him by the pussy line, I'm like, okay, th- he's done. Like I got nieces, sisters, right. and his approval numbers went up. And then he said the thing about McCain, mm-hmm. which like whether you I mean, I'm not very political, but like whether you like McCain for his politics or not, right. Jesus Christ, guys yeah. in Vietnam. Like yeah. 
and said he was a bad war hero. <laughs> yeah. Like there are no bad war hero or uh, POWs. Right, 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 right. His numbers went up. Yeah. Like I'm convinced he could be on tape. You know, there's rumors of, you know, of course they're coming from Tom Arnold. So let's consider the source. <laughs> right. Tom Arnold says he has tapes of Trump saying the N word on the apprentice. Uh-huh. I'm convinced those tapes could come out and Trump's numbers will go up. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's got a lot of shitbag fans. Right. And, you know, he, um, you know, he said it himself. You could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and yeah. people wouldn't care. But, the, you know, not to relitigate 2016. Oh, no, but, I don't want to bum you but, out. But, but like, but Hillary won. Right. Get the popular vote. Three Hillary, million votes. Right. So, so, so actually <laughs> Hillary won. And had there not been shenanigans and had there not been a whole bunch of black people kept from voting, she would have, she would have won the, the electoral college as well. Right. So, so he didn't actually beat her. Right. He, he cheated and, and won. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. <laughs> so, so look, I, I don't blame you for having problems with the democratic party, but good Lord. Oh, I have, I you mean, know, I wish there was a third party. Uh, I know that yeah, guy. Same, me too, but there isn't. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> but that, like that Starbucks guy, Schultz, oh, I think God. he Fuck seems him. to, uh, like, I wouldn't mind a legit man or woman who said, listen, both parties are wackadoony. I really am down the middle of both. Mm-hmm. You know, like Ross Perot, like he was. You yeah, know. I just don't think both problems are wackadoony. I think I think that I think the Democratic Party has problems, but that it's nowhere near the level of the Republicans who are just awful. They don't want people to vote. They don't want women to have rights. I mean, it's just well, yeah. I mean, you got to keep them in line. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. My only really problem with the Democratic uh, uh, Party, and and you know, we're gonna we're gonna have a fun two minute thing that like so we get off politics is like I obsessively watch uh, MSNBC. Oh, not me. Can't. Well, I watch it because of their hatred for Trump. Like it would literally be like having OJ have a show and say, OJ, tell us about Nicole. <laughs> uh, and then CNN is the same thing. Like, I, I think the problem the Democratic Party is having is it, we all get it. Trump sucks. But give us the alternative. It, it, I think they're doing that. See, I don't think they are. Okay. But I, I, I'm not. I don't know if you're listening. I am. Because <laughs> of Sean Hogan I, at the Groundlings. I think, I think, I think, I think Liz Warren's put some really good ideas out. AOC's put some really good ideas out irrespective of Trump. See, here's the problem with Warren, and I know you got to go because yeah. you're a fucking working actor. <laughs> I, I think Trump's going to bait. If, let's just say she's the final uh, candidate. Mm-hmm. I think Trump is dying for that because he can get her going. Like in hockey, they have agitators, mm-hmm. and their job is to go, go over to number 24, just slash him enough where he gets pissed. Mm-hmm. That's Trump. He'll say the Pocahontas line and all that stuff, yeah. and I think she'll come unglued. I think I think there's a much I think there's a much higher likelihood that he'll come unglued than she will. Oh, he is unglued. Yeah, exactly. I think she's I think she's got her shit together. Oh, absolutely, she's got her shit together. Yeah, no, I I don't think I don't think he can bait her. I see. I do. Okay, but I I, I hope I'm wrong. He didn't bait Hillary in the debate. I see. I think he did. She, no, she won every fucking debate, and and everyone said that, and then all the shit bags just voted for him anyway, because you know, because our country's. Full of racists. All right. We're, oh, absolutely. <laughs> now, okay. Now we're gonna do one word answer. Oh, okay, great. 
And then we're going to, first of all, thank you for coming. You're so welcome. You might want to cut all the political stuff. People are bored of it, aren't they? No, no, I don't think they are. Okay, great. And if you are, too bad, because I don't know how to edit. <laughs> There's a thing called fucking fast forward on your uh, iPods or iPads. Uh, so. Okay, one more to answers. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. I know this probably wasn't high up on your bucket list it's to be pleasure. interviewed it's by an unknown pleasure. comic. L.A. to Vegas. Yep. Oh. Oh, is that the one word? Oh, yep. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, that wasn't a question. So no, I'm, I'm just going to say some, just, you got 113 is, titles. Word association. Yes. Got it. Okay. Um, uh, family. Bosch. Marlo. Yes. Curb your enthusiasm. Delightful. Hannah Montana. <laughs> Ridiculous. I feel like this is. We're a going through my credits, by the way, in case yeah. you didn't know. Yes. He's not just naming random shit. Yeah, I'm not just like, okay, what can I say? Harold and Kumar. Bush. Bean Bin Laden. Unfortunate. We're going to go with last, the last one. I'm going to try and pick a good one here. <laughs> Let me see. You know, just because I uh, like this show, American Horror Story. Bloody. Which some may say this podcast was, but we fought through it. <laughs> Amir Talai. Hey, Earl. Thank you so much. My pleasure, buddy. Um, you're going to become a fan of Amir's just because you've probably seen at least 10 things he's been in. <laughs> so follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and who knows? He might come back for more when I personally finance the reboot of LA to Vegas. Wow. Thank you, Don Johnson. <laughs> if you're out there, come on board. Inappropriate Earl SoundCloud and iTunes. Leave a review so I can get more celebrity guests. Please. Oh,